I'm David W. Berner, and this is The Rider Shed. snow outside the window of the shed today. I mean, we're coming down like a squall out there. Mid-November, I guess this shouldn't be surprised, but there it is anyway. I do like this time of year, though, not really about the holidays or, or the snow, for that matter, but the, uh, the kind of state of mind, the Christmas in the air, and the kind of hunkering down feeling it gives. I know, a bit of a cliche, really, but uh, there it is, and it's true. Uh, before we get into our latest episode this time around, which I'm thrilled about, by the way, A little thank you. Some of you have reached out about my granddaughter, Sage Ann. She's doing, she was delivered seven weeks early. Happy to report she's doing very well. She's doing great. Progressing normally and well, and uh, so is mom. And it's been a wild and lovely ride so far, and thank all of you for asking about that. And now to this episode, the state of the modern memoir and the thoughts of three writers, Vincent Franconi, Michael Kupperman, and Jim Terry. First, Vincent's book, Like a Dog, it's a memoir of his working life and a uh, relatable ride it is. Michael Kupperman's book is All the Answers. It's a total departure from everything that he's done before, a serious graphic memoir about his attempts to discover the truth about his father and his childhood. And the writer and cartoonist Jim Terry, a Native American who wrote and drew his own story of redemption. It's called Come Home, Indio. One of 2020's best books by Publishers Weekly and nominated for the Best Nonfiction Graphic Novel for the Ringo Awards at Baltimore Comic Con. Each book, a memoir, but new in structure and approach. So first of all, thank all of you for being here. I know sometimes it's difficult uh, trying to get everybody together, but I appreciate it. Uh, Michael and Vincent and Jim, um, great to have you here tonight. Uh, We're doing this as an evening show tonight. And I appreciate that because I think the subject of modern memoir fits into what you guys have done uh, very well. So what I really like to do first is just kind of go around the horn a little bit here. Have you uh, tell a little bit about your your book um, and uh, and we'll take it from there. Vincent, why don't you give us a sense of what the what your book uh, Like a Dog is all about? Sure. Uh, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Um, yeah, I wrote the book Like a Dog. Uh, originally, I started working on a bunch of stories about my terrible jobs that I had in my 20s and 30s and realized it'd be, I was pretty much writing about my life. So why bother turning into a novel when it could just be absolutely true? So it's kind of a separated into three sections uh, represented by three different jobs I did. One was a mail sorter, which was a pretty poor job. And then one is uh, working at a bookstore in Chicago in the 90s, and which was a great job. It didn't pay. And uh, then the last one is when I started adjunct teaching, which is uh, another horrible job. It doesn't play. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's supposed to be the big grown-up one. So I like to think the book is really about maturation and growing up. But, you know, it's focused through the lens of doing kind of uh, thankless and, and, and terribly paying jobs. Yeah, my, my son had told her, told her, uh, uh, kind of toyed around with the idea of writing a book called uh, I'd Like to See the Manager. Um, that's what he wanted to call it. And it was sort of like every bad, you know, minimum wage job he had growing up. So, so Jim, tell me a little bit about, um, about your book about, um, come home India. Well, uh, it's basically, it starts out with, uh, you know, from early childhood and struggling with, um, mixed, mixed, uh, mixed race heritage being native and Irish and, um, and going in through being 
a weird kid in the eighties and then in the nineties and, and 2000 struggling with, with uh, alcoholism and then coming to terms with that coming out the other end and, and getting, uh, you know, vaguely politicized and trying to figure out where I fit in the world. And it's really about, uh, just coming to terms with maybe not fitting in the world and being okay. Yeah, isn't that funny how a memoir, a lot of really good memoirs really about that, about how somebody fits in the world or how they've transformed themselves to, to fit into the world or transition of some type, right? But it's also about like dealing with it, you know, dealing with the world. And I think, Michael, your book is a, a little bit about that um, from what I've read about it, all the answers. Can you tell us about it? Uh, sure. Yes. It, it's about, it's basically the story of the book itself is the book. And it's about trying to understand or connect with my father and understand uh, his childhood where he was a famous child prodigy um, for a time in the 1940s. And uh, ultimately the whole thing being just a frustrating exercise that showed me a lot of unpleasant truths. So let me talk about Jim and, and Michael. Your books, though, have taken on the structures is different than what we would normally see. I hate to say that, but maybe traditionally see um, in a memoir. You know, you've taken on a graphic sort of comic book style, I want to call it. I don't know if I got the right words for it. But, you know, Jim, can you tell me a little bit about how you've structured your book, the difference uh, between what might be a traditional book? Well, I mean, that's, that's an essential difference, right? I'm primarily a comic book artist and I've done, um, you know, I've done freelance comic art for the last 10 years and a memoir is sincerely not anything I had interest in doing at all. And I'm not super familiar with the graphic memoir format. Uh, I tend to drift toward more, you know, genre based horror and things like that. Mm -hmm. So to do something like this was, uh, was, was not something that I had a lot of familiarity with, which might have been helpful to me because I just broke it down into a very, I, I figured that people who were reading it might not be familiar with how to read a comic book or, you know, that those essential things. And, um, and so I made it as, as basic as I possibly could. I just broke it down into a six panel format for each page. And, you know, I played around with that, loosely here and there, you know, splash pages, five panels, but for the most part, I kept it as basic as possible. And that was incredibly helpful to me because it made the pacing and, and the editing process a little bit easier because I wasn't getting too fancy with anything. So uh, as I did it, it was pretty much straightforward, you know, and there were times that were difficult to talk about. So I would jump forward to a little more peaceful time and then go back to the miserable stuff later. But uh, for the most part, it was all the way straight through. Very little planning. I didn't have a lot of time to complete it. So that was another thing that was very helpful. At the time, seemed like a burden. But in retrospect, I'm really grateful that, that I you had. had a con you, had a con you had a tough deadline on it? I did, yeah. And it was my own fault. I took on too much. And then next thing I knew, it was around the corner. So yeah, I know some work. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, you know, my, my, a lot of my work is journalism and, you know, sometimes having knowing that there's a deadline there uh, kind of helps us. But you also, Jim, stayed within your within what you knew, you know, you knew comic book structure. Right. So you kind of use that to 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 help you kind of figure out how you wanted to tell the story. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I've leaned on my heroes quite a bit. You know, Will Eisner is a is a 
great hero of mine, and he was able to tell a lot of things that only could be done through graphic storytelling. So I tried to lean on that and and um, and to utilize that as much as possible because when you can marry an image with prose and have them contradict or strengthen each other, that you can have a lot of uh, you can say a lot in a page when you're, when you're working with those tools. And, uh, I try to, I tried to really try to utilize them as much as possible and, you know, to varying effect, I'm sure. Yeah. So Michael, I see you shaking your head. Yes. About that. Cause yours is a basically graphic novel story. And I, I'm sure you have the same kind of feelings about that. Well, some of it is the same. And I also assumed that a lot of the readers wouldn't be people who were so accustomed to the graphic novel format or the, Sequential storytelling. So I tried to really, really simplify it. And part of the thing about doing a story like that is you can really focus on the emotional weight of what uh, you're conveying and lose a lot of the details. So I think if I'd done it another way, there was so much detail I would have put in, a lot of fascinating stuff about you know show business and 40s and whatever, and just cut it all out, cut it all out, because I wanted it to have the impact of like telling someone a story in a bar. And you've only got their attention for a little while, You've got to get it through, get all the way through the story. So I just simplified it as much as I could. And one of the one of the things that's made me the happiest since it came out was that some people have told me they've read it in half an hour. Wow. Which, you wow. know, is like perfect because I wanted it to be like you're just riding through. You know, you you take a ride through this, you know. And you and you kind of want people to do it in one sitting, right? You kind of want that. If possible, yeah or to feel that sense of connection, like they want this, to find out how the story ends, you know? Right. So Vincent, your, your, yours is not a graphic novel. Yours is more traditional, but yet it's, I guess it's really told in scenes, right? In a way like job by job kind of thing. So that's a little bit of a different structure. It is. I think my original idea was if I'm going to write a book and this was the first long form thing I'd, I'd published. It was always like maybe poems here and short stories there, nothing like this lengthy, and, you know, which is a daunting thing to take on. And I think the, real, the thing I realized is that it was a lot more achievable if I broke it up into episodes and just didn't really have that idea of how am I going to have a through line for this entire thing. So I think that's the other problem is I'd read some memoirs when I was younger and they always seemed to be sort of almost plotted like novels. And, yeah. and I had that same kind of structure of a continuous narrative. And I don't think I necessarily like sacrifice that but i realized if i have 60 to 80 pages in one as one book and then the middle section the same and then the last section the same like i could have self-contained books that are fairly short almost like novellas but you know they are connected by a lot of the same things it's the same character but it's sort of interesting because when i'm thinking about the book now i i've kind of originally felt like it was a failure in the sense that like there's not a lot of recurring characters except me because uh, I'm, you know, I'm jumping ahead 10 years in my life here and, you know, people drop out of your life or you lose contact. And uh, I also thought like, well, if it's going to be a book, it has to have like a core set of characters who just are sustained. But I finally just gave up and said, you know, I think this can be anything I want it to be. Uh, so, I mean, it's not as it's definitely not as like genre shattering as say doing it as a graphic novel, which there's still plenty of examples of great memoir graphic novels, or I'm thinking of like Spiegelman's mouse, which is like one of my favorite books, which is definitely a graphic novel that's based on his life and his father's life. So it's like the rules are a little bit out the window. I think sometimes with the memoir, which I liked, I think if if this was a novel, it would have been harder to sell the idea of self-contained episodic things that are sort of thematically linked, but as a memoir, 
apparently I sold it at work. So I'm happy. Yeah. And I think you're hitting on something exactly what I wanted to talk about. The idea that memoir, you know, the novel is is reshaping too. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, auto fiction and all kinds of things that are happening out there. So the novel has been reshaped over the years too. And plot seems to be something that people sometimes just don't even put in a book. Um, sometimes the, the traditional sort of plot, but your structures, I think, are what, you know, what are interesting in each, all three of these books. You take on something different to tell a personal story. And we all know that in memoir, the narrator is the star. They're, they're, the, they're, they're the protagonist in the story, right? I mean, that's how it works. Um, so you're also you're the author and you're the narrator at, at very much the same time. Um, but yet you're also telling, like you said, Michael, a little bit about the connection between you, you and your father, obviously the connection between your father and understanding that. And then Jim's going through his troubles. And then you, Vincent, going through what many of us have gone through. So a very relatable kind of thing where we've lived, lived through those terrible jobs, but yet the structures are all different. So is that where we are with memoir? I think someone had mentioned to me in an email along the line when we were trying to set this up as a, like the post Angela ashes memoir. Yeah. yeah <laughs> right. So, you know, Angela ashes is a wonderfully rich, fantastic book, but it's a very traditional memoir. None of yours is traditional. <laughs> so is that where we are now? Is it is it almost like the memoir has to be non-traditional? I don't mind jumping on this one because I said the Angela's Ashes thing. Um, yeah. it's th I mean, that was on my mind. I, I studied creative writing and I studied poetry. I had no intention to write nonfiction. Um, and then I needed a break from that. So I decided to try and write stories because grad school will destroy your love of whatever you're studying if, if you let it. So <laughs> Not the truth. When I, I was thinking about like memoir is something I can maybe do or novel is something I can maybe do when I finally settled on doing the memoir. Like I had Angela's Ashes as the thing in my head because it was the big book um, that kind of made memoirs explode in the publishing industry. People got very interested in publishing this because it was a hit book and publishers want the next big thing that's along the lines of what just sold. So it is a very traditional memoir. And I think like that was my original idea possibly is I could do something like that. And then I realized once I kind of hit that 60 page mark and it was done with one episode, maybe I can't do that. And then, you know, that was a slight crisis that I got over pretty quickly, but Angela's ashes and the big books like that kind of have a looming shadow and you just live in that shadow and you decide, am I going to let that like dictate how my thing should be, or should my thing be whatever it's going to be and is unique to whatever I'm, my vision is or unique to whatever I can do. And, you know, I had no choice but to accept that. And I'm kind of glad I did, because I think if I would have tried for an Angela's Ashes style memoir, it would have been a different book and not as good a book and probably a, a book that I ended up lying a lot to sort of manufacture something that was mm -hmm. more traditional. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, you're right. Fiction's changing. Everything's changing. And I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy to read a book that doesn't, that sacrifices plot to, to language, you know, to something like that. So I'm open for it all. I mean, as a reader, that's for sure. So I think it's not that big a stretch for all of us to sort of uh, take every work on its own, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I also think that that creates a problem for, you know, the publishing world or in the book world, bookstore world, because where do you shelf some of the stuff? I don't know where it goes on the shelf. You know what I mean? So, so Jim, did you ever think about at any point making this more of a traditional prose story? Did, you, did that ever come into your head? Well, I mean, I think that I think that my book is probably about as traditional a memoir as you could get. I mean, it's a, it's chronologically 
it's chronologically presented and there is a, it's a pretty exhaustive explanation of things that happened. And, um, and I think that just hearing what, what uh, is being said, you know, the, the idea is what is the point of a memoir, right? What is the purpose of a memoir? Yeah. Are you just talking to explain why you did something or are you dishing gossip or are you, or are you trying to get to the core of something? And, um, I certainly thought about doing prose and I do, I do have prose in my book. There is a sequence where I go to standing rock and I did not feel that it was appropriate to turn that into a cartoon at the time. Mm. And so I wanted to completely change the tone and, you know, whether or not it's successful, I mean, that's, that's what I had from the beginning. And initially I had typewritten that sequence and then I realized I needed to handwrite it like the rest of the book and I think that works better but you know it's a, it's a jump and it's it's jarring and it's jarring for people who are reading it I've been told and uh but it's also that's the point right so if you're mm-hmm. I wanted to jar people and to stop and to make them think that okay or or to make put them in my shoes where it's like okay this is a different thing and this is not entirely my experience here. I am portraying something that that is happening outside. And all I can do is present it in the way that I see it. And uh, but the rest of the book is pretty much told solidly from my point of view. Right. So, you know, it, it, it needed a little change. And those are the things that you can do nowadays that you probably couldn't do. Although if you talk to James Joyce, I'm sure he would, he would like to differ, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's but funny it was, because it was really well received. Do you, are, do you think you're going to do more work like that? Like uh, autobiographical or not? Yeah. Or, or like non, you know, non traditional comics, non superhero. You know, I have to admit it was not anything that I ever considered, but it's a, uh, it's, it's kind of a comfortable place for me to be. I, I, I found that I'm, I'm uh, in tune with it. So maybe, you know, but for now I'm just trying to pay the bills. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Michael, you're, you're also, I mean, you've done graphic art books before, so this wasn't out of your realm, but you hadn't done anything. that was just personal, correct? That's right. Yeah. This is the first thing I've done that was personal or, or serious. really. What was that like for you to do that, that way to change that, way of thinking it was awful it was an awful experience it was terrible I, I learned a lot about myself but it was very painful and uh you know not the way i would have had it happen and then i had to you know i had this book out about it and it's it's weird it's a weird feeling you know it's not great uh yeah it, it was painful and it was odd to feel like you have to promote this thing that you know has been written about really personal stuff and then my father died last year and his obituary uh, in both the Washington Post and the New York Times kind of followed what I'd said in my book, which was also a very weird feeling because I felt like I defined his obituary possibly in a way he wouldn't like, in mm. fact, quite likely. So that's, that's, I don't know. The whole thing was, yeah. Are you still happy you did it? Yes. Yes, but he I kind of reluctantly released, or if it yeah. had to be released, I hit, I didn't have to hear about it, you know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's um. It, yeah, I I think that can be hard. I, I'm I'm working with some people who are working on a memoir right now based on a grief, 
and you know they feel like they need to write it um but yet it's not fun you know it's it's kind of an odd thing it's like i need to do this and i want to do this but it's not fun but yet they feel compelled to do it and i think that happens in a lot of memoir i will say one interesting thing that i i realized just a few weeks ago Someone brought up, there's a thing in the book uh, where we're in a swimming pool and I asked my father if he loves me. And he said, some of the time, you know, which is a memory I held for a long, long time inside me. Yeah. And it was one I could access easily. And the really funny thing is a few weeks ago, someone mentioned this and the memory was gone from my mind. Like actually transferring it into the book seems to have just removed it from in here so that was really interesting wow it's almost like it transformed into something more or different or or more relatable or something i don't know how to even explain that in a lot of ways yeah it's a good thing i'm trying to figure out how to do that with other stuff yeah wow but 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 i think memoir too and, and maybe you can all just as we wrap up here maybe can can touch on this does does writing memoir like you all have in different ways, does it change the way you think about creative writing? Does it change the way you think about storytelling completely or does it change it? Um, I'll say yes. Oh no, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say, I think the more you do it, the more you get impatient with seeing it badly done. Mm. Possibly. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Vincent, what were you going to say? It did for me because like I, the book that I have, like a dog is pretty much a straight memoir in my mind. Um, but the one that I followed up with, I don't really know how to classify it because it's memoirish, but it's also got like essays that aren't really about me. They're more, it's very much literary like obsessions uh, about book collecting and about grief because, you know, it was 2016, I was writing it. A lot of people are dying. So it's just like, it's not a book that I've, it's a book that I like as much, but it's harder for me to say like, Oh yeah, I've written another memoir because it doesn't quite fit into that category. But I realized like, I like that in a sense more and like everything I've written since the memoir has been sort of uh, inspired by the, by writing the memoir and the sort of like process of that and realizing that, I'm kind of read. I think we're all just redefining it as we're writing stuff and that's okay. Like it doesn't have to fit into this idea of a traditional book. I don't think it's possible for, for me to write a traditional book and I'm okay with that, but I think it took writing the memoir and sort of doing it the way that I did it to realize that, you know, a book can be constructed in a number of ways. Yeah. Um, as long as it's sort of best serving the project, I think it's fine. And yeah, Jim, you said that you, you might even consider, staying in this form a little bit after doing it and feeling like it may be a good place for you. Is that, is that a good characterization? Well, I was considering the the question and uh, what I found was uh, like Michael, it was an exhausting and miserable experience to create this book. (laughs) It has been equally gratifying and horrifying since it's been unleashed into the world, you know? And, um, so, you know, you take the good with the bad and, but what has been remarkable to me is, uh, well, on the negative side, there's a lot that I didn't put in the book that is painful and it was just too much even for a book, you know? So that stuff I, I hadn't thought of until I had, I had cracked open the box. On the other hand, working and, and just doing it 
with just the editor in mind and, and trying to bend as many of the rules of storytelling as I could to, to punch the, the feeling home really got me back to a cartoonist perspective rather than an illustrator's perspective, yeah. which is what I'm doing, you know, professionally is, you know, drawing comics, drawing them in, in a semi-modern way. But uh, being free to show dramatic acting, you know, uh, at, to like 1920 stage level acting where everybody's exaggerated and you're punching these things up. Yeah. And you're going back to EC Comics and Jack Davis and all those guys and bulging eyeballs of when you're surprised. That was incredibly freeing. And I feel like I want to... I want to uh, tell stories more with that kind of exuberance and freedom because you don't, you really have to dial it back for modern comics and uh, getting back into straight cartooning was, was a thrill. It was a real genuine thrill and it was exciting and fun. And it was, uh, it was really great to, to flex as an artist and say, I'm going to try something here. We'll see if it works. You know, so, so that, that freedom really has changed the way that I look at how I, how I tell stories now as well. That's a, it's a really great way to end it here too, because it's what we're all trying to do is tell stories the best way we can. We've all taken particular structures and bend them, as you say, Jim, a little bit to make them work for what we're trying to say. And all of you guys have done that. And it's really, really appreciative. Uh, I'm really, really appreciative of having you here to talk about it, too. Uh, I thank you very much, Vincent and Jim and Michael. Thanks again for being with us. We appreciate it. We're going to put a link to your books on our podcast, too, and make sure everybody knows about them. Thank you so much. Thank you. so much. Appreciate it. The links to the books from Vincent Franconi, Michael Kupperman, and Jim Terry can be found on our Writershed podcast website at Buzzsprout. This has been episode 20 of The Writer Shed. I'm David W. Berner. Our music is from iRay Music Production and Interviews, as always, produced in the Shed. You can find out more about Writer Shed Press at writershedpress.com and at the Writer Shed on Medium. You can also sign up for our newsletter there and find us at Writer Shed Press on Twitter. The Writer Shed is available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.